You are listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We believe that Jesus came to set you free and nothing can cancel the truth of God's word. Now here's your host, the youth pastor of Impact Youth at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut, Pastor Joey Santora. What is going on? Uncanceled. How are you guys it. doing? Come Thank on. you so much for tuning Woo! in. Oh, I couldn't even get it out because it was just so funny. Uh, you definitely have to have like the log. Like, yeah, yeah, no, it's staying in. That's good. We like that. <laughs> just, just had to be a little different today. Yeah. Uh, Uncanceled. How are you guys doing? Um, at the time of this recording, it is 9.30 a.m. on uh, Thursday morning. We normally record on about 4 p.m., yep. uh, but we're doing a 9.30 today. Uh, just kind of felt it today. We yeah. just, uh, a couple different reasons. Uh, had got to listen to uh, Matt Parker bring a, bring a word this morning. So we were like, it. he brought it, man. He was there. He was, he, he was, he was there. He was like, he was like, uh, what was he like? He was like white on rice. Yeah, he was there. That was just him. What does that even mean, white on rice? Like, I don't know. Like, somebody's playing, like, really good defense on somebody. Oh, oh, yeah. It's like, I'm on you, like, white on rice. Yeah. But That's there's what also he was like today. kinds of rice. Anyway. I was like today. He ate today. He ate today. Oh, he sure did. Um, he did a great job. All right. Um, oh, wait. I was about to go into the teaching. Wait, we forgot to say the reason why we have formal attire today because like I'm I'm literally yeah, wearing a three piece suit. Very less than common for me to be well dressed on the podcast. Yeah, but what was you telling Ben? Why, why are we wearing that? Because uh, there was a school thing and Matt was preaching. And, yeah, there we go. And it was you know well dressed day, and I like well like we kind of dress well every day when we teach. Yeah, so. yeah, we both teach at Faith Prep, so we both uh, we we both dress pretty formally, and we both teach Bible. Uh, he teaches middle school, I teach high school. So, anyway, it's time. Let's do it. Yeah, it is. 9 30. It's kind of sickening to be honest with you, since <laughs> of me doing this. But I haven't even eaten anything today yet. This is what I'm about to eat first. But it is time it's to, unfortunately, rate, rate that. that. Oreo. Oreo. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it feels good at 9.30. feels like, uh, you know, we should probably be, like, rating that breakfast sandwich yeah, or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's just, but, it's just uh, a but weird But we're rating time. Oreo. Kind of maybe a little uh, breakfast oh, type sure, of Oreo. Oh, sure, sure. This is a cinnamon bun Oreo. So, you know, occasionally you might have a cinnamon bun with breakfast. That's proper. Sure. I, I'm on uh, Saturday. I'm celebrating Christmas with my uh, with my family, uh, and uh, because we do Christmas Day with Brianna's family, so Saturday morning we're gonna have Christmas breakfast. There'll probably be cinnamon buns. There you go. So, um, uh, you know, from an Asian country. Not sure which one, but uh, let's see if I can find it on the back. <laughs> right. Not a word of English. <laughs> okay. Wait. Dong Su. Dong Su Oreo cinnamon bun sandwich. It says Dong Su. What do you think Dong Su means? Dong Su. How's it spelled? Dong <laughs> Su. D O N G S U H. 
So oh, it's um, it's like a food company. Oh, wh- wh- what's it based out of? South Korea. This is a so South Korean go. Oreo. Look at that, Dong oh, Su told us something. Those, uh, look at that silver packaging. Oh, it's so luscious. How do we feel? This is... Uh, I don't know. Take another sniff. <laughs> I don't know what that smells like. It kind of... I mean, maybe it's just like strong cinnamon. Uh, all right, I'm getting kind of like hints of updog, like just j- just oh, a little bit. Dog? Oh, nothing much, no! much oh! Sorry, it's nine thirty a.m. <laughs> it's nine thirty a.m. and it really is. It really is, and like, like we're neither one of us are t- are morning people. Uh, I mean, I got up at like seven thirty. I just, I, I just, I'm still not awake yet. I'm just not. I've had to become a morning person more. Yeah, because of your job. Yeah, but uh. Uh, let's just. Oh, it does not smell good, bro. This was supposed no to be the best way. one. No way. I don't this know is what it smells good. like. It smells chemical. It kind of smells like mapley. Maybe. Let's try it. Maybe it's the icing. Oh. Oh. Hmm. Okay. I'm there. Um. Hmm. I'm kind of there. I'm conflicted. The um the taste is much more. Tell me if you agree. Mild than the smell. The smell is kind of weird, but um. I'm getting cinnamon. I'm getting icing. Bun, yeah. No, no, I just. Uh, I'm actually getting kind of strong cinnamon. Yeah, so. Like, kind of hits you. You ever have Belvita crackers? Yeah. You ever have the cinnamon sugar ones or the cinnamon yeah. brown sugar ones? Kind of like that on the outside. Mm-hmm. And then you got the cream in the middle. A little bit of a cream cheese type filling. Uh, maybe. Frosting type thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe not cream cheese. Maybe that was a little much. I don't know. I, I, I'm very conflicted on this one because, like, it's good. It, it, I would say it's, uh, in my opinion, like, I, I kind of have a good, not great right now. Um, I agree. But. It's not great, but it's not. I, I think it's, for me, a little bit better than good. Would you Would you go back to the store to get these? If they were like on the shelf, yeah, just like at a regular grocery yeah, store. Yeah, you don't have I to meant. go to two hundred three. Um, like you don't have to go to Denver Mall. I might pick them up again. Yeah, I might too. Uh, I might too, just because, like, oh yeah, actually, I haven't had those ones in a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're uh, not bad, man. It was it, it was good. That's pretty good. I mean, I don't feel gross. I don't feel gross. No, no, um, no. There was feel... a little bit of a strange taste going on somewhere in there, or the smell was concerning. Yeah. Um, they're expired. Are they? Yep. Where'd you see that? Mm. Yeah, see, that's probably why <laughs> it, it smells a little funny. By about three months. We'll be okay. Meow. Um, <laughs> but 
That's not uh, bad. If, if, if you're literally listening to this on Spotify, there's probably so many pauses. It's not even funny right now. <laughs> yeah, you're like, did, um, did it cut out? Yeah. No, we're still here. No, we're still here. We're just um, we're just processing. Um, being that it's expired, that actually does kind of like um, maybe do something with that smell. That that might be why. Yeah, it's a little bit more concerning now, but we'll be okay. Yeah, um, I mean, we're gonna be fine. Uh, what would you give it? I don't think it's better than a regular Oreo. Okay, I don't think so either. I think that I have a rating. Okay. You want me to just go? I have a rating too. Okay. Are we are we three, two, one in it? We can. Okay. Three, three two, two, one, seven. seven. This is like this scream seven. Oh man. That's crazy. I really thought you were gonna go with like an eight. No. I think that this scream seven. It's it's a little bit better than good. Not great. I think that I might want to lower mine to a six point nine, and here's why. A six point nine? Okay. <laughs> here's why. So the average is a six point nine five. So here's my thing. Guess what that rounds up to? <laughs> here's my thing. Seven is the number of perfection in the Bible. <laughs> this is not perfection. No, I'm just kidding. Seven is a, it's, it's a seven. Uh, it, it really it's, is. It like, it, it's just is. seven. Yeah, it just is. It just is. And there's really no other way to go about it other than seven. Like, like, I mean, it's just like, yes, it's, it's a seven. And like, yeah, it's kind of it. Yeah, it's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's definitely like, I would say it was one of the more boring Oreos that we tried just because it wasn't really good and it wasn't really bad. So there wasn't really much talk about it. It was just like, yeah, it was a cinnamon bun Oreo. Yeah, but I think that you know it was it was pretty accurate. The smell was weird, and then yeah, it was, and other than that, it was it was pretty accurate. I agree. Not a bad I agree. Experience. I I don't know if we're gonna continue Oreos after in, in the new year. I don't know. I uh, I we we will definitely go to some foreign snack of some kind, but uh, but we'll just have. I guess to. we'll have to see what other wide variety of things. Oh, they we, have plenty of stuff. You to know what's David? crazy though? What's up? We only tried like four or five actual foreign Oreos. Did we really? Then Most we might have to keep ones. doing some. I mean, New Year. New me. <laughs> See what happens. Um, they also have a wide variety of Ritz crackers. Really? Yeah, they have peach cheese Ritz crackers. That sounds pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a thing in some countries to eat like fruit and cheese and crackers. People do it in America now, too. That'd be interesting. Would you? Crackers and cheese and grapes? I feel like I feel like Oreos are at least a little bit more entertaining than like, hey, we're eating a cracker today. Yeah, let's not do the cracker. <laughs> uh, and that, now that you put it like that, I think that it's not going to be the cracker. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a good call. Well, anyway, thanks for joining us for Rate That Oreo, and uh, we'll see you next time. And if you were looking to just start the, um, you know, podcast teaching – we are going to start now. now. Well, what is going on on Canceled? It is good to be back on the podcast for a Bible teaching. We just rated that Oreo. Um, not, not as exciting of a rate that Oreo uh, as normal, but still happy to be here with the Bible teaching with you guys today. Um, last week we talked about, well, actually not last week, two weeks ago, but last podcast, we dealt with the issue of that I that I call the what about Job issue. And I mentioned that 
as somebody that teaches faith and God's will to heal and God's will to prosper and all that type of stuff, it can be complicated sometimes. Uh, or, or people often challenge. It's not. It's really not that complicated. But people will often challenge you with questions such as, what about Job? What about Job? If God's always willing to heal, if God's always willing to bless, then how about Job? And last week I, I addressed the issue of Job. I'm not going to, you know, recap it or anything. You can go back and watch What About Job uh, after this podcast. But um, I, I uh, was happy that it blessed so many people. And I got a message from a young man that attends uh, a, a uh, college um, and uh, they're studying to be in the ministry. And they said to me, you know, I, I was really listening to your podcast. It really blessed me. Thank you so much. And they asked me uh, about Paul's thorn. And another common objection to the faith and healing message, and this young man was not by any means challenging or, or being rude in any way. They were genuinely asking. Uh, they asked me about Paul's thorn. And so I want to address today, what about Paul's thorn? Now, some of you that are watching this right now, you maybe have no idea what I'm even referring to when I say Paul's thorn. You'll find out in just a second. But can I give you a spoiler alert to start the podcast? Ready? We're going to spoil the podcast right here. This also does not contradict and does nothing to the message of faith and victory. In fact, this is only going to uh, strengthen the fact that there really are no valid objections to the message of faith and victory. This does not change that God always wants good for us, blessing for us, healing for our lives, and never wants to harm his children. It does not change that. Let's give some context to Paul's storm. We're going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 today. <clears throat> I love to address stuff like this because um, people that don't like faith and, you know, and, and people that, you know, teach, you know, the quote unquote word of faith or whatever, uh, that, that they would say that I teach and, you know, people like me, the thing that they, um, don't, uh, that they'll say is they'll say, well, notice how they never address any of those tough issues. And what about this? And what about that? Well, I'm addressing it right now because guess what? Addressing it does nothing to the message of faith and victory. Well, let's give some context before we go to second Corinthians chapter 12. First off, uh, Paul uh, was writing to the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, the, the church in Corinth, and there were these quote-unquote super apostles who were in the Corinthian church and who were challenging if Paul was really an apostle. And the reason I say super apostles, like quote-unquote, is because they really were not apostles at all. But Paul talks about them all in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he talks about these super apostles and how they are challenging whether or not Paul is really an apostle. And so what Paul does is he goes on to defend his apostleship. He defends who he is as an apostle. But here's the thing. While he's defending himself as an apostle, he almost feels bad because he doesn't want to come across as arrogant as he is defending himself as an apostle. And so that leads us to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to take a drink of water. Forgive me. <clears throat> My voice is not fully awake this morning. I'm trying to to get it to go for me. Anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, This boasting will do no good, 
but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in the body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do uh, do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so outstanding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will only boast Oh, I, I will boast only about my weakness. So let's let's stop here for a second. What Paul is doing in this text is notice how he says this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. And Paul begins to uh, defend his apostleship even more. So notice here that Paul, he uh, is defending his apostleship, but he feels almost bad that he has to talk about all the things that God has done in his life to be able to defend himself as a valid apostle. So uh, I'll read that again uh, in verse 5. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be, uh, I would be no fool uh, in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want to give, uh, I don't want to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, let's address this. First and foremost, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, let's read the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So, you know, I really do wish that the Bible would just say who the, who, what the thorn in the flesh was. That would be really good if the Bible would just, you know, maybe tell us. So let's read. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a sickness that God gave to me that was very terrible and that I experienced terrible things with. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? doesn't, it doesn't say that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It doesn't say a thorn in the flesh was given to me, cancer. It says a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I almost need to stop for a second and just think about this. How do you have a PhD in the Bible? And you're unable to tell me what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. Well, how many of you guys know? We really don't know what Paul's thorn was. It, you know, many people have suspected that it was a sickness, but we, but we ultimately don't know what it was. Yeah, like, just read the text. There's not much to get at here. It's like it's like a mystery that some people try to make it out to be of what Paul's thorn was. You know, we really just don't know what his thorn was. You know, it could be a lot of different things and stuff like that. Well, first and foremost, let's start here. I'll go with the hard stuff first, and then I'll just go with like the factual stuff. Or that's like, well, it's both factual, but the stuff that's like right there in front of your eyes that we'll read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. In the Old Testament, when thorn in the side was mentioned, 
to the Israelites. It was referring to a group of people that were opposing and afflicting hardship upon the Israelites. That were oppositions, that were ops. Uh, that's what the kids would say. But that were opposing and bringing hardship to the Israelites. They were people that were a thorn in the side. So in the Old Testament, when the term thorn in the flesh was used or thorn in the side, it doesn't refer to sickness in the Old Testament. So I'm not sure exactly why people would think that it is in the New Testament. I actually know what they cite to say that it was that. But I'm not, uh, it's, uh, the, it's in uh, Galatians, I believe, Paul says something about his eyes or something. So people say that was his thorn in the flesh. But again, it's just not being true to the text. Because if I said to you, Clifford, the big red dog, who is Clifford? Give me a description of him. Go ahead. You can say it to yourself right now. I can hear yourself right now. You're like, uh, the big red dog. That's good. Good job. I'm glad. I'm glad we all got that. If you didn't get that, that's all right. No problem. We still love you. We put, we praise God for you. But Clifford, the big red dog. Who's Clifford? Clifford is the big red dog. There's no mystery there. Nobody's confused about who Clifford is because I just said Clifford, the big red dog. Let's read the text again with Clifford, the big red dog in mind. What was Paul's thorn? So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Hmm. What was the thorn in the flesh? I'm going to go with a messenger from Satan to torment me. I'm going to go with that. That's, that, that's for me to, to kind of just go with, you know. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, it's right there. It literally says it right there. It was a messenger from Satan to torment the apostle Paul. Many people say it was a sickness that Paul had that God gave him to keep him humble. Well, Let's, let's, be, let's stay accurate to the text. First off, I like how we attribute God to this thorn in the flesh. As if God gave Paul this thorn in the flesh. That God was the one that gave him the thorn in the flesh. Well, the Bible says, a messenger from Satan. So it sounds like to me it was a messenger from Satan. Uh, being that it was, it was a devil that was literally, or a demon that was literally assigned to Paul's life that was sent to stop Paul from accomplishing what he should accomplish. But let me actually tell you what the word torment means. It said a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger from Satan to torment me. I will tell you what the word torment is in the Greek. It is kalafizo, kalafizo. And here's what kalafizo means. It means to give one a blow with a fist. That's what the word kalafizo means. And it's translated in the New King James Version as buffet. It's translated in other versions as torment. And so this word, uh, to give a blow with a fist, here's how we can understand this kalafizo. It was... Uh, it was some, It was a messenger of Satan that was sent to continually give Paul these body blows that would eventually knock him out. Uh, let me help you understand it like this. Perhaps you've watched boxing before, but if you haven't, uh, I'll explain it to you. When you're boxing someone, and now I'm not a boxer by any means. Like, like I'm not, I'm not somebody that's like in the ring, you know, boxing with people and you know, punching people and being able to take all those blows. I'm not that type of guy. But my my buddy Miles, he's a boxer. He likes to box, and he's been working out on that and getting real good. Uh, but in boxing, what 
when you're fighting someone, you're ultimately, you want that knockout punch, but you don't just go for the knockout punch. Because if you go into the, the match just looking to just give a nice KO right to the head, right away, you're likely going to swing and miss and fail. Why? Because the person has not been worn down at that point where you can give them a knockout punch. If I'm just, you know, if I just go for a quick KO, they're at full energy. They're not even run down or worn down at all. So what I need to do if I'm boxing somebody, if I'd like to wear them down to be able to get to a point where I can knock them out, I'm going to give them body blows. I'm going to hit them in the stomach. I'm going to hit them in the ribs. I'm going to give them rib shot after rib shot after rib shot. And then over time, their body is going to begin to wear down and wear down and wear down and wear down. And through the course of the match, their stamina is getting weaker and weaker and weaker because they're getting these body blows. And then it's harder for them to breathe because they have all these bruises on their ribs and body. And then eventually what happens is the, the boxer will either... Uh, be done and unable to continue to compete from all the body blows, or they'll, the uh, boxer will be able to give a knockout punch to the opposing boxer because they wore them down with all of the body blows. So this word kalafizo, it gives this same idea as a boxer of giving one a blow with a fist. And so what this text is really getting at and what it's saying is that the, is that this messenger from Satan was giving Paul body blows that were trying to get him to quit, that were trying to get him to be able to tap out from his calling, to walk away from what God had called him to do. And so this thorn in the flesh, what was it sent to do? The Bible says to torment from this Greek word, kalafizo. So the messenger from Satan was sent to torment, uh, to torment Paul. Uh, but let's deal with this. Many people might, might give me an objection right now and might say, well, the thing is that Paul says that it was in order to keep him humble. It was in order to keep him humble that he received this uh, thorn in the flesh and that God gave it to him so that he would be humble. That is what many people would say. Yeah, you know, how many of you guys know that God gave Paul this thorn in the flesh so that he could be humble? Well, here's the problem with with that, first and foremost. Would God give Paul something that would try to make him quit his calling? Would God give Paul or anybody that he's called to the ministry something to attempt to quit the calling that God gave him. Wouldn't that seem like God is working against himself at that point? If God calls Paul into the ministry and then God gives Paul something and goes, hopefully this will knock him out of the ministry. That doesn't really seem to make sense. Since furthermore, it says a messenger from Satan. So in order for you to believe that God is the one who gave him this thorn in the flesh, you must also believe that God was working with the devil. And my issue with that is that the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, actually, as well, it's it's something five, it's either first or second Corinthians 5.17. Forgive me for not knowing the reference. But uh, in first or second Corinthians 5.17, it says, what harmony can Christ have with the devil? I'm going to look it up just so that I give you the uh, the reference. What harmony... 2 Corinthians 6, what is it? 2 Corinthians 6, what? 6.15. I have no idea where I got 5.17 from. 2 Corinthians 6.15. What harmony 
can Christ have with the devil? Here's the thing. God is not partners with the devil. God is not Batman and the devil is not Robin. That's not the way that that works. And so God is not working with the devil. So that's one thing that we have to understand. There is no harmony between Christ and the devil. They're not teammates. They're not working on the same page. Second issue with the fact that God gave this thorn to to, to Paul. Does God send his children things to torment us? Does God send his children things to torment us? Because if you believe that God gave this thorn to Paul, then you also must believe not only that God partnered with the devil for this messenger of Satan, but second, you must also believe what it says. Uh, It says uh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, to torment me. You must also believe that this was to torment Paul. And so God was giving Paul something to torment him. That's what you must concur. My issue with that is that God does not torment his children. God does not torment his people. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've given your life to the Lord, God does not torment his children. How many of you guys know that if as a, as a father one day, I'm not a father yet, but as a father one day, if I were to torment my son and I were to torment him with things, I would be arrested and sentenced to a life a life imprisonment. That's what would happen to me. Well, you know, I, I just want to teach my son something. So I decided to, you know, put him in the oven for a little bit to teach him that the oven was hot. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's actually called murder and ch- or child abuse, depending on how long you leave him in the oven. So uh, th- I would go to jail for that. Fathers in America or in our legal system, they'll go to jail for tormenting their children. So what makes you think that God is this God in heaven that is sitting there desiring to torment his children? That's not how God works. God is not, and if this word kalafizo means what what the Greek says it means, which it does, that it's a body blow, to give one a body blow with a fist. You, so you think that God is in heaven if you believe that God gave the, the thorn in the flesh to Paul. God is in heaven giving these body blows of torment to Paul. If that's your understanding of God, I really feel sorry for you, genuinely. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, in a mean way or rude way. I feel sorry for you because that's not who God is. God is the God of the Bible in John 3, 16, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever so believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's the God of the Bible that came down from heaven and died a painful death on the cross because of his infinite love for you and I. He is the God of the Bible that heals us of all of our diseases, the Bible Bible says he's the Lord that healeth thee. He's uh, the Bible says in Matthew 8, 16 through 17, that he took our sickness and bore our illnesses. He is the God of the Bible in Luke 4, 18, that that he came to set us free from every single oppression of the devil. And so that is the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not this God that is looking to torment his children. Now, yeah, in the Bible, do we see enemies of God being opposed with different things? Certainly God will oppose his enemies. He'll take his enemies out. If, if, they oppose him. He has so much grace for his enemies. He has so much, he gives so much mercy and grace for people to repent and turn their back and turn back to him. But yes, when it comes to God's enemies, yeah, God, God's a God of justice and judgment as well. But to his children, God doesn't torment his children. And Paul was a child of God. 
So that's not proper to say that God gave this thorn in the flesh. And, and we know that because it kept Paul humble. So now, why did Paul say it was to keep him humble then? Because we have to address that then. Because it seems something positive came out of his thorn in the flesh. This is why context is so important. What is the context that we started with at the beginning? I'll remind you. You, you may already be ahead of me. But these super apostles were challenging Paul's apostleship. He was talking about all these things that God had done in his life and his ministry to prove his apostleship. But he didn't want to sound arrogant. And so in that, Paul says, this thorn in the flesh, it kept me humble. What was happening here? Was it that God gave this thorn in the flesh to ruin Paul's ministry and life and give him body blow after body blow? Or did God turn this thorn or use this thorn in the flesh to keep him humble? Did he use what the enemy sent to knock him out for his good? Just like the Bible, uh, just like the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that God works together uh, everything for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Yeah, this was a bad thing. This was sent to take Paul out. But guess what? Paul saw through the, the, uh, the benefit or through the good that God could bring out of even the bad that it actually could keep him humble, reminding him of what? Reminding him of his constant reliance upon the Lord in his life. I'll show you that in just a second why I can get that that's his constant reliance on the Lord in his life. I'll get there in a second. But Paul was defending his apostleship and did not want to seem arrogant. So he says uh, this to tell them uh, what has kept him in a place of humility. And this thorn in the flesh, although it was sent to knock him out, although it was not for his good, he God turned that thing around and actually brought something good out of it. How many of you in your life, you faced something difficult, something bad happened that was sent to knock you out, but then it was completely turned on its head and something good came out of what was bad. Did God send the bad thing into your life? Certainly not. But God turned it around for his, for his good. Perhaps somebody grew up in, grew up in poverty, grew up in an abusive situation. Did God, you know, desire for you to grow up in a situation where you had nothing and you were being abused by your father or by your mother or by your grandparents or anything like that? Certainly not. And my heart goes out to any person that has ever experienced that because that's not the desire of God. And I know that God can heal and restore those things as well. But that's not the desire of God for people to face those types of things. You know, and, and I'm sorry if anybody's ever told you that, well, you know, God, God allowed that for you because he, he you know, he, he wanted you to have to go through that. that that's actually not correct. And I'm not going to go into that anymore. If you want to hear about God's allowance, you can go back to my what about Job last week. But. God doesn't desire that for anybody and he doesn't want anybody to experience that. But here's the thing. You might grow up. You might uh, have a relationship with God. You know, you grow up and then God uses what you went through for you to be able to help other people that went through that same thing. Did God desire for you to go through it? No, but he flipped that thing on his head for his good. That is what is happening here. Paul understood what, what good was being brought out of the bad 
in this situation. And this is something that we see constantly in the Bible. Joseph thrown into prison. God brought something good out of even that. We see this throughout the entirety of scripture and Paul's thorn is no uh, exception. So yeah, it did keep him humble. Yeah, it did keep him in a place where he was relying upon the Lord. Uh, But it doesn't mean that that God was the one who gave it to him. It was a messenger from Satan. So furthermore, people might object, well, God said that he wouldn't do anything about the thorn. Because many people will, will hear everything I have to say and you know, say, well, that's a nice argument that he's trying to make, but what about this? God said he wouldn't do anything about the thorn. Well, let's read the scripture and see what's said. How many of you guys know that it's actually important to like read the Bible and see what it says instead of inserting our own presuppositions or our own predetermined thoughts into the word of God? Let's just read what the Bible says and let's take it as it is. Ready? Three times I begged the Lord or pleaded uh, with the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, no. Oh, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he said, no. It says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Okay, great. Ready? Did God say no when Paul pleaded with him to take the thorn away? Is that the exact words that were used? No. No. The words that were used were, my grace is all you need. My power works best in in weakness. So what is God really saying to Paul? Now, it's not entirely wrong to say that God did not take the the thorn in the flesh away because he didn't take it away. God didn't just go, okay, no problem, Paul. I'll make sure that you never experience this messenger from Satan ever again. God doesn't say, God doesn't say, um, uh, say that. God, it's not entirely wrong to say that there is a no in there. But it's not exactly correct either because he says my grace is sufficient for you. So what is really being said? What is really being said? While the truth is that God will not take away the enemy attempting to give us body blows in our life, the enemy trying to come against us in our life, he has already done something about it. God has already done something about every body blow and every attack of the enemy in our lives. He has given us something so powerful, which is his grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. So while God is not like, okay, I'll make sure, I'll make sure nothing ever, you know, comes in your life again. That's ever bad. You know, I'll make sure nothing bad ever happens. He has given us something already to deal with anything that is not of God in our lives by his grace. He has given us something to be able to take care of it by his grace. What does that mean? What is grace? What is grace? Some people have defined grace as unmerited favor or divine favor, but other people say it's his divine empowerment, his divine empowerment. But whatever way you look at it, whatever way you look at grace, which I'd happen to lean more towards divine empowerment uh, as a more adequate a definition of grace, but some people see it as, as his divine favor. And if, and I, I'm not going to, you know, get into a big debate or argument about that, but either way, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. If you want to say my divine favor is sufficient for you, my divine empowerment 
is sufficient for you. And the reason why I believe divine empowerment is a more adequate definition of grace is because I believe that when you study it out, it comes off, it comes out a little bit uh, greater understanding uh, with divine empowerment, but uh, like uh, the, the God's divine empowerment. So looking at this, my grace is sufficient for you. My divine empowerment is sufficient for you. The empowerment that I've given to you, Paul, is sufficient for you. That you can take care of this thing. That you can deal with this thorn in your flesh by my grace. Now, if you want to say it's his divine favor too, then okay, fine. But nonetheless, he said that his grace is sufficient for, for him. In other words, my grace, Paul, is enough for you to be able to take care of this thorn in your flesh. And so we have to understand that God didn't just say, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. He said, no, I've already done something about it. Do you see the difference? Not, no, I didn't do it. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's, no, I've already done something about it by giving you my grace. That is the proper understanding of the text. Because he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Well, let's go through the next objection because some people would say, okay, but why does God, uh, uh, why does God say my power is made perfect in weakness then? Okay, because that's right. God's power is made perfect in weakness. When we are unable to do something on our own, when we are weak on our own, our own strength, doesn't God's power just shine all the greater? When I'm unable to do something on my own, doesn't God's power just show up uh, even more? Because you're like, wow, this guy would be not be able to do this if it wasn't by the grace of God. When somebody comes down to an altar and asks me for prayer, for healing in their body, and I lay hands on them and pray for them, that's a moment where God's power shines all the greatest. Because you look at someone like me, who is a human that has experiences, uh, weakness and different things. Uh, and you see me praying for somebody and seeing them healed. That points to God and his power shows all the greater. When something comes against me in life and I have a weakness in my life, you know, I'll give you an example of, of what might make sense uh, to that. If you know, if you know, People are coming against me and people, uh, you know, are, are trying to, you know, get me to not preach anymore. People are threatening me to, you know, go to prison and all that stuff. And I begin to preach the gospel anyway. Doesn't God's power show all the greater? Because no man would be able to do that on their own. Only by the grace of God would I be able to do something like that, where I can stand and preach the gospel, even though that there is threats for me to be arrested if I do so. Doesn't God's power shine all the greater in our weaknesses? In my inability, and I know people that are terrible public speakers, but then God calls them into the ministry. And they get up there and they begin to speak. And people are amazed and they're like, I cannot believe that they're standing up in front of everybody speaking right now. Three years ago, they wouldn't even speak to anybody when they came to when they came to youth group. Three years ago, they wouldn't even speak to anybody in school or at church. But now they're standing up in front of everybody preaching a sermon. Doesn't God's power shine all the greater in our weakness in the fact that, yeah, I might not be a gifted speaker. I might not be the best with my words, but guess what? When I get up here and I preach, God's power shines all the, all the uh, brighter because of the fact that I maybe don't, uh, maybe I'm not the best in my own, 
in my own self. So yeah, it is accurate to say. It doesn't contradict anything to say that God's power shows up in weakness. Absolutely, 100%. When we have weaknesses in life, when we, have, when we don't have the natural ability, God's supernatural power shows up and shows everybody what he can do. Think about Moses in the Bible. Moses, he was like, well, I can't go before Pharaoh for all of these different reasons. And then God's, God gives him all these different abilities and equips him with all these different things to be able to do it. And so when he stands before Pharaoh, he, uh, the Bible says that he was like God before Pharaoh. And so in that same way where Moses was able to stand before Pharaoh and he was able to, to tell him to let the people of God go by the grace of God is the same way that Paul is saying, my, uh, or God is saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So it doesn't contradict the message of faith to say that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Yeah, he did. But it was a messenger from Satan. It wasn't from God. Yeah, it did keep him humble. But that was God turning what the enemy meant for evil, for God's, uh, for, for God's good. That's what that was. Uh, yeah, God did say my power is made perfect in weakness. Because guess what it is? In our human weakness, God's power shines all the brighter. How many of you guys know, I want to harp on this for a second. How many of you guys know that I really could not preach and see anything happen or any manifestation of God's power without God, because it's not my own power. Anybody that preaches, any sermon that I, I've ever, you know, preached myself, and there things have happened, people have gotten healed, or people have come up to me after and said, that's the most powerful, you know, service I've ever been in before. You know, God really, you know, changed my life, or people go to other services, or I've been in other services, and people preach, and stuff happens. How many of you guys know that if it was reliant upon their own humanity, nothing would actually happen. Nobody would actually be changed. But even in that weakness that we have as human beings to not be able to do it on our own, God's power shows up all the brighter that he uses just an ordinary person to be able to do something so supernatural. That's God's power. That's God's power. I just wanted to harp on that for a second just because I felt to do so. Next, what did the messenger of Satan do? What did the messenger of Satan do? Because now I'm going to actually explain to you what the messenger did. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This messenger of Satan, what it did is it, it, it basically created problems for Paul throughout his ministry. Uh, I'll give you examples of, of what this was. Um, go to Acts chapter 27, verse 27. Oh, right. I literally just flipped into the Old Testament. I have no idea why. I just was flipping aimlessly. Acts chapter 27, verse 27. It says, actually, yeah, I want to read that. Verse 21, we're going to start there. Paul is on a ship uh, full of prisoners. He's on a ship full of prisoners. And here's what happens. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. 
you would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even through, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and, and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on the islands. Okay, so what happens here? Let's just backtrack for a second. Number one, notice how Paul said that they shouldn't have even sailed there in the first place. That, Paul, that if they would have listened to Paul, they wouldn't have even sailed there in the first place. God actually forewarned Paul to not go there because he knew that there was going to be problems there. But then they get on the ship and this shipwrecking takes place. This shipwrecking is a perfect example of the enemy trying to take Paul out and knock Paul out and kill him. But notice how God steps in by his grace in the situation and saves Paul and visits him by, with an angel from the Lord and tells him that it, will, it won't result in his death. So this shipwrecking is an example of this thorn in the flesh acting in Paul's life, trying to take Paul out. Okay, now let's go to Acts chapter 28, verse 3. They, uh, this is after the shipwreck, they were, arrive on this island of Malta. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, because they thought that, when, uh, they thought that since something bad happened to him that he must be a bad guy. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. What happened here? Paul was bitten by a snake. We can assume it was venomous or poisonous. Why can we assume that? Why would the people of the island wait for him to drop dead and die if it wasn't a poisonous snake? So Paul gets bitten by this snake and it's hanging off of him. What was that? Again, a snake coming out of the fire, biting him, being snake bitten, this messenger of Satan, trying to knock him out, trying to take him out and, and kill him from the purpose that God had given to him. But what happens again? By the grace of God, Paul is completely unharmed. This is what the Bible means when it says in Mark 16 that you'll be able to handle snakes with safety. It does not mean that I should come up here with a snake right now and start playing around with a venomous snake and let it bite me to prove that God, you know, really is, you know, uh, uh, protecting me from snakes. That's putting God to a foolish test, as the Bible would say. What this, what that text actually is saying is that if it were to happen that a snake bit you, that if something were to happen that would try to harm you, that was ha happened by happenstance or accident, that God would protect us. That's what that scripture is saying. But anyway, we see this in Acts chapter 28 with Paul. And so there we go. We have Paul being snake bitten, shipwrecked. Ready? Next, Paul is stoned and left for dead. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. This actually happened before. There it is. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. 
Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the town, thinking he was dead. What happened? Paul was, Paul was preaching the gospel. They got mad. What happened? Well, that's, that's, that's not the spirit of God that's in that. That's the spirit of the devil stirring people up to be able to oppose the gospel. They go and they stone Paul and they leave and they think that he's dead. They think he's dead. They leave him for dead. He's stoned and left for dead. What is that? That's the enemy coming against him. That's this thorn in the flesh in his life and activity trying to take Paul out. But what happens? By the grace of God. Verse 20. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. I want you to understand this. If someone was stoned, and the Bible says they were thinking he was dead. If someone was stoned to the point, that means taking big rocks and throwing them at someone while they were basically tied down to a wall or tied down to something, and they were stoned, and everybody thought that they were that that he uh, the person was dead or that Paul was dead. He must have been stoned pretty good. It must have been pretty bad. But notice how the Bible says that the believers gathered around him and he got back up and the next day he went to Derby to do what? To preach the gospel. Tell me that wasn't a miracle. That the great, by the grace of God, I was in a class one time called Pauline Theology with a professor that had this doctrine of Paul, I, I call it a stormy and thorny doctrine. It's when you always think that there's storms in life and there's thorns in life. And so he had that stormy and thorny doctrine. And, you know, he said, Paul's thorn, you know, you know, maybe it was a sickness, that type of stuff. And he read this text and here's what he got out of it. You know, life is going to be hard if you're in the ministry. You know, be careful going into the ministry because bad things are going to happen to you. And so, you know, it's important to see here. See, Paul was stoned and left for dead. It's, it's very bad. You know, to be in a minute, sometimes it's very hard. All What I focused on in the text was the miracle that God did. Yeah, I, I got the part that he was stoned. Yeah, I get the part that sometimes there's going to be challenges in life. Yeah, I got the part that people might try to oppose you. I understand that there's persecution for serving God, but I also saw the miracle that Paul got back up and the next day he went and he preached the gospel. That's a miracle. That's the power of God. That's the grace of God right there in Paul's life. And so, yeah, there was this thorn in the flesh. Yeah, it came against him. But notice how the grace of God was active in every situation to be able to help Paul as he dealt with this thorn in the flesh. So I have one last question, or actually two more questions, but they're quick. But didn't Paul die from execution? I can definitely hear somebody hearing this whole teaching and they, you know, even want to believe it. They want to be like, okay, like I see this in the Bible. This actually seems like accurate. He's using scripture to support everything. Yeah, that's what we got to do. We got to use scripture to back everything up. But didn't Paul die? Yes, he did, but not until God was finished with his mission. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. I'll start reading in verse six. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished a race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Notice what Paul says. The time of my death is near. The time of my death is near. It's almost as if Paul knew that he was going to die. That, his, that, that, he was, that he was done with his mission. This is a hot take because some people don't like this and, you know, experience in life has maybe, you know, made them feel, uh, believe this. But I believe that when a man is in the center of God's will, or a woman, I mean man as a general term, but when a human being is in the center of God's will, that they cannot die until God is finished with them. They cannot die until God is finished with them. Think about Paul. He was stoned, left for dead, but he didn't die. John, he was, he was put in a vat of boiling oil. That should kill somebody, but he didn't die. Why? God was not finished with him. God was not finished with the work. And I notice here that Paul even knew when he was going to go home to be with the Lord. He knew that the time of his death was coming. So yeah, Paul did die by execution but not until he knew that God was done with him, that his mission was over. I've heard a lot of great men and women of God say things like, you know, uh, on the, you know, they're, you know, um, you know, 85 or whatever. And they're like, I'm ready to go home. You know, I'm ready to go home. And, you know, so I've even heard stories. They're in a hospital. I'm ready to go home. And they're like, okay, you know, you'll be home soon, you know? And they're like, no, no, no. Like, I want to go to heaven. Like I'm ready to go. And moments later, they pass and, 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 and die. Why? And, 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 you know, death is ultimately, is the ultimate, you know, uh, life as a Christian because you are in eternity with God. And so they, they, they know, they know that their journey is finished. They know that, uh, that God is, is done doing the work that he wants them to do. Go to Philippians 1, 23. I'll show you another evidence of this in scripture. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 23, Paul, I'm torn between two desires. I long to, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Ready? Paul again was in prison. This time he's in prison and he's saying he's torn between two worlds. He's torn between two, uh, what, what does it say specifically, desires. He's torn between two desires. And so he says, I can go be with the Lord or I could be here with you, and, but it would be better for you if I stay. And so I'm confident that this will uh, come out in my release. In other words, Paul's in prison. He knows that he could be executed. He knows that this could be it, but he's confident that it's not because he knows that God is not finished with him yet. But then the mood changes in 2 Timothy 4, 7, that he says, I fought the good fight. I know that I'm going to die soon. What changed? He knew that his time had come to an end. He knew that his time had come to an end. And so, yeah, Paul did get executed, but not till he was finished with his mission. So if you've had a family member that has died young, I'm not by any means, you know, trying to say anything about your family member. I'm just saying what the Bible says, and I believe teaches, is that when somebody is in the center of God's will, doing God's work, that they cannot die until God is finished with them. So, does Paul's thorn 
contradict the message of faith from the Bible. No, not at all. Nothing about Paul's thorn contradicts the message of faith. It actually enhances it. Um, You know why it doesn't contradict the message of faith? Because the message of faith is from the Bible. And so it's not going to contradict it. It's the message of faith is, you know, the quote unquote word of faith, you know, uh, uh, movement or whatever, word of faith theology is not a made up theology that just comes from nonsense. It's just what the Bible teaches. That's it. It's just what the Bible teaches ultimately. And you know, I, I even say that I'm word of faith loosely because I am, I'm word of faith. I believe it's always God's will to heal. I believe that it's always God's will to prosper. I believe that stuff. I believe it's always God's will to deliver and save, but I'm married to the Bible, not a theological position. And so I believe what the Bible says. And so that's what the Bible says as it pertains to healing. That's what the Bible says as it pertains to God's will to prosper. The thorn in the flesh does absolutely nothing to that. Paul experienced many sufferings and hardships from his thorn in the flesh, but God gave him the grace to deal with it. Remember, this is the, the same Paul that had a thorn in the flesh is the same Paul that said in Ephesians that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's the same Paul that saw miracle signs and wonders take place in his ministry. It's the same Paul. He's the same Paul that says, oh, death, where is your sting? Praise be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Same Paul. Same Paul. So no, it does nothing to the message of faith. What about Paul's thorn in an objection to the message of faith? What about it? It does absolutely nothing. Be encouraged that for every contradiction that people try to bring up to the message of faith and victory and God's will to heal, there's an answer in the word of God. There's an answer in the word of God. There's an answer. Believe the message of God's word. Believe what God's word says and watch and see as your life will be different. If you're called to the ministry and you're watching this, make sure your ministry is a ministry that you preach faith, victory, and healing. If you preach defeat and you preach stormy and thorny theology, you will end up having services as a minister where people are not getting healed, people are not getting delivered, and the greatest manifestation of God that you'll see is a big group of people crowded at the altar, crying, and then they leave the service and they have the same problems that they came in with. That's what will happen if you preach stormy and thorny theology. See, I know that what I believe is right because the Bible says it, And furthermore, I know that it's right because it works when I do it. If it didn't work, something must be off, but it works. I preach like this. I preach strong. I preach victory. I preach faith and people get healed. People get set free. People's lives are changed. People encounter the Lord and and their life is different because of it. That's why I know for a fact, because God's word is alive and active. And so if it's alive and active, then it should work when I do it. It should work when I do it. And it does. It does work. Believe the message of faith. Even if you're not called to the ministry, apply it to your life. Use it. It'll work for you just the same. It'll work for you just the same. What about Paul Storm? What about Job? What about him? Doesn't do anything to the message of faith. So I hope this message uh, encouraged you. I hope it blessed you. Uh, And uh, Merry Christmas, because I think by the time that this comes out, it will be tomorrow, which is, what is tomorrow, the 23rd, 23rd, 22nd, cool, 22nd, 
So Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year to you as well. I probably won't record a podcast next week either, um, but I'll be back for the new year. Uh, I encourage you if uh, to join uh, the 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting that the church at Global uh, does. Uh, at my youth group, we're doing 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Uh, you can fast a meal. You can fast... Um, uh, you could fast, you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., but I encourage you participate in this fast because it's a great way to dedicate the first part of your year to the Lord and seek instruction to, for, for, uh, from God for that year. Uh, I also encourage you, if you want to join us for the 21 days of prayer and fasting, to go back and watch my sermon on fasting uh, that I did um, last week, last Wednesday. So go back and watch that on our YouTube channel. Uh, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for watching. Love you guys. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you for listening to the uncanceled podcast. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by the teaching today. If you are between the grades of fifth through 12th grade, make sure to check us out in person at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut, every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Be sure to tune in next week for another weekly podcast from Uncanceled. God bless.